Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. We have a very simplistic message and it is to move others to do by delivering memorable messages and resonating reminders. Simple yet powerful. Today's guest is one of the smartest, most strategic people that I know. Yes, and for the video aspect, she's like, wow, yes, okay. But let me get into a little bit of her bio. She is a a terrific friend, um, a former customer, and again, just such a smart, caring person. Her name is Jamie Stapleman. She's the executive director of Estee Lauder Companies. She's held that role for about the past five years, responsible for global travel and meeting services, including design and strategy. A little over 14 years, if I'm correct, with Estee Lauder. We'll get a little bit more into her background and I will finish speaking here soon, but I also wanna share a few recent awards that she has received. Recently named one of the top 25 influencers in the meetings industry by Successful Meetings. She was also selected as one of the top 25 women in the meetings industry by Meetings and Conventions Magazine. So just some uh, terrific accomplishments, uh, terrific awards. Jamie, I am so thrilled that you said yes to do this. So thank you. My pleasure. Anything for you, Bart. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. All right, I did want to start off. I know that was, and it's often, and I watch your face as I'm reading about your accolades, but they are all so very, very well-deserved. You and I met when I was Ritz-Carlton Global Sales. You attended several of our advisory boards. You were a huge proponent and supporter of me, my team, the brands that I represented, but I learned so much from you. And I want to get into that in a moment about your strategic thinking, your vision, your ability to lead and to mentor. But I would love to start at the beginning, Jamie, about where did you grow up and what were some of your early influencers that would determine who you are today? Yeah, um, thanks, Bart. Great question. And about (laughs) that question, um, you know, it's been said you can never, can you ever go home again or you can never go home again? Turns out you can. Um, I was just recently back in Wisconsin. That's where I grew up. I grew up in rural Wisconsin. Um, and in a family, if you know, in a rural environment, you do a lot of things yourself. You're not dependent on anyone um, growing up in the Midwest. So I think some of that was instilled in me. Um, my parents are both, I call them entrepreneurs, um, just, you know, figuring things out. And so that's part of it. I, I can see it going home now. The entrepreneurial spirit is in myself. And my siblings, it's really clear that that's kind of rooted in where we came from in terms of generations of people, because we did have a little history lesson when I went home recently. And um, it's just interesting, you're grown now with grown kids, you're telling your children things that you don't tell them growing up because they're children. And now that we're adults, we're learning, oh, this is why I'm the way I am. So that's one piece of it. And then the other piece, growing up in a rural um, area and knowing really nothing except the history of the rural Midwest, um, I wanted to see the world. And uh, my parents are lifelong travelers. My mother just passed away in January and uh, I wrote her obituary. And that's her, speaking of like learning, I learned she has been everywhere in the world, places I didn't even know she had been. So I guess the travel gene is also passed on. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, of course. That's the most important thing. And may I ask, is your father still living? He is. Yes, he is. And um, we're just enjoying our time with him so much right now. Um, He took us on a little history lesson um, in southern Wisconsin, which is where he was born and raised. And um, yeah, we're just having the time of our lives now. So what was one of the stories that perhaps you learned in going back home that they didn't tell you as a child? Do you remember anything specifically that said, oh, by the way, Jamie, you are like this, or you did this? Anything that initially comes to mind? It's not, it wasn't really about um, things I did. 
But when you hear, you know, like my, my father now telling us stories of his relationship with my mother, mm. the two of them, seeing them as uh, uh, not parents, but two adults in love with each other, doing things people who love each other do, that was interesting because that's not what you see growing up. You see your parents completely differently. Um, but what he shared with us is their adventures around the world. And they obviously have nine lives because we heard stories that they could not tell you as a child because they were very adventurous spirit. But it did tell myself and I would say my siblings, this must be where we get it from. Um, uh, my brother told a funny story of, uh, <laughs> he actually went into a museum when he was in Europe. He went in backwards, the line was very long. He had to use the bathroom. They went in the museum to use the restroom. Now they're already in, so they toured the museum. And then my dad said, oh, your mother and I did the same thing. Oh, okay. That's a funny story, but um, who knew? But anyway, little tidbits like that. Yeah, no, no, and that's fine, right? A little bit of rule breakers. And you probably also didn't think about your parents as dating, right? Being no. parents, they, but they were romantic partners. Yeah, which yeah. I'm learning at today years old. Yeah, right. yes. <laughs> Never saw them that way. Yeah. And tell me about the adventurous spirit. And you had shared a little bit about their travel adventures and all the countries that had that they had gone to. It doesn't necessarily tie into rural Wisconsin and traveling the globe. So was it part of business? Was it part of pleasure? Was it military that they ended up traveling so much or just? How? Yeah, for my folks, um, my dad's a history buff. Um, he okay. loves history and he his parents died when he was very young. So I think he also had this longing and yearning to know like, where am I from? Where are my roots? And that's probably what started his travel bug. Um, and then I think just hip and my mother just enjoy um, other cultures, foods, meeting people, um, which I also find in that, that era, now that I'm meeting like friends of my father, that generation is very social. You know, that's a very social generation. So I think that's, that's part of it. Um, for myself, I mean, I did want to travel and see the world, but I also learned to say yes, when opportunities open up. You know, where some people are like, I will never leave. And I, I grew up with people like that. I'm going to stay here forever. Um, I really, as scary as it was, would take the opportunity that took me to another state or another city. Okay. And the siblings, can you share uh, brothers and sisters, the number? Yeah, I have three younger brothers and a younger sister. Okay. So you were the oldest. I was. And I'm hearing many stories I do not remember um, as they are going down memory lane too, I'm just like, I don't even remember that happening, but okay. all fun and fond memories. Sure. And are any of them still in rural Wisconsin or Wisconsin? They all are. They yeah. all are. So yeah. are you, you're the My only one here in New York. My sister okay. lives in, uh, in New York and I live in New York. Um, and then my three brothers are all still in Wisconsin. Okay. So then growing up. Tell me about high school, finishing high school. Were you the popular kid? I know you're into fitness, which we'll talk about balance in a moment, but were you an athlete? Were you the type that was valedictorian? I know you are incredibly smart, but what were you like in high school? Very studious, very studious. I was really focused on my grades and studying. Um, and all of that. And I feel like being that person in high school, when I got to college, that really wasn't something I wanted to do. And that's when you should want to study. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, were you an athlete in high school? Well, I wouldn't say an athlete, but I think it's, I was more um, fit out of necessity. I did, I know these stories sound made up, but it is true. I did ride my bicycle 20 miles to school. Um, maybe it wasn't 20. But I might be exaggerating, but I did ride my bike to school every day um, to high school, but athletic, I would say, no, just, you know, pretty normal fitness. And yeah. I think that's really how I am. I'm like really just fitness and recreation, although I do sometimes take it to another level. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so, so far what we've learned is about the independence. So growing up in rural, rural Wisconsin, thinking about you being the oldest of three, three brothers, right? Three younger brothers, one younger sister. You're, you are one of only two that ventured out of that area. After high school, what did you decide to do with regard to college? Were you, did you stay local in the state of Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. I did. I did stay local. Um, part of it was I did want to graduate with, um, this is just me. And then I wanted to graduate with no debt. Um, and college is so expensive right now. So I do have like certain feelings about that. It really should be affordable to everyone. Um, so you can graduate without any debt. Uh, and then after I graduated from college, I um, was recruited through, you know, online recruitment. Um, and I started out in retail. Right. Okay. And, yeah. and at that point, so high school and then college, what did you think you wanted to do career-wise? No clue. Okay. No clue. I had no idea. I wanted an office and I didn't know what I was going to do in it, but I, um, I studied business. So uh -huh. that's, that's my background business. And I had a speech and communications minor. Okay. And yeah. when you finished school recruited to get into retail sales, do you think that that's where the service element of your approach started? Or were you always thinking about others and doing for others? No, I, I, I don't. I think I, I stumbled into my first job and I think I did things that people in their 20s do and it should be normalized. Your 20s, you're figuring things out. You really, there is no timeline. Um, I mean, for some, some people know exactly what they want to do. I want to be a writer or I want to do this. I didn't. Uh, so I feel like I did stumble around a little bit. Um, so I got a job in retail. It just you know, through online recruitment, I ended up there. Then I met a flight attendant, just random. And this person told me they were visiting all parts of the world. And I'm like, okay, I will apply at an airline. I might do the same thing you do. Um, so that kind of led to, I did have an airline career. I was in retail for a few years. And then I started a career in sales and marketing. I kind of traversed around um, the airlines for, um, you know, prior to Estee Lauder. Yeah, right. Yeah. And how did your parents react when you moved away? Surprisingly well. They had another place to visit that wasn't Wisconsin. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, and that's what I was hoping for. But thinking about, and what's really interesting, Jamie, is the more people that I talk to, and it has been everyone, um, I would say similar success to you. So the founder of Hints, the unsweetened water, Kara Golden was on the podcast. Uh, the person who is the chief heart officer for Vayner Media uh, was on the podcast. And so many wonderful people that I talked to, it's amazing their backgrounds are not what you think they are. So I spoke to a gentleman who grew up on a dairy farm. Um, Doreen Burst, who you know, former global sales with, with Marriott, now with United, she grew up um, also in a rural environment and sold pumpkins on the side of the street. So it's just really quite incredible that when I meet you, you are, to me, the persona of, and take this please with all greatest compliments, and I don't need to say that, but beauty and fashion and city and Estee Lauder and all of those things I would not have imagined. And that's why I love the podcast so we can have these kind of conversations and I can learn about where you're from. And guess what? People that don't have access to you can also learn about where you're from. So love hearing that. Okay, so then um, do you think you got the travel bug then because of the airlines or was it simply you always wanted to travel and then the airline industry propelled you or gave you the ability of traveling? It, it propelled me. And I think going back to like, you know, when you say most people don't, that's sort of how, like, I would look around me and think, okay, I, you only have one life that you know of to live. And I knew I just wanted more, you know, more experiences, uh, more travels, more, um, and an interesting job, a job that I wanted to get up to and, 
and enjoy and go to every day. Um, in terms of the social part of it, I feel like I'm more of a social introvert. I love people and I love being around people. And that I also need um, alone time. So I think that kind of helps like in the world that we're in, we're able to be with people. Yeah. Um, and then we have time to focus on other things that are more, um, where we're more of an individual contributor. Yes, and I totally get that as well because, and you know me, I love being able to share ideas and present and facilitate, but it's uncomfortable for me to be at a reception, especially if I don't know people. So I need to challenge myself to be uncomfortable and fit in in certain situations, but I also like my alone time. So you know, if I'm if I'm traveling, I just got back from a trip yesterday from St. Louis. And uh, lucky I got upgraded to first class. The gentleman next to me wanted to talk and he wanted to tell me he broke his leg and this is how it happened. And, and I wanted to care, but I also didn't want to talk. So, you know, you put in the earplugs and just kind of concentrate on the laptop for a little bit. So I, I totally appreciate and understand where you're coming from. And in fact, for our listeners, before we started hitting the official record button, you shared about COVID being an opportunity to kind of hit the pause button. Can, can you share a little bit about your philosophy as to what hitting the pause button has allowed you to do? Because I think it's a very unique and very positive way to approach challenges in which we had to stop. Exactly. It, it stopped us dead in our tracks. So all of us had the same experience. You were going about your daily life. And then March 13th or around that date, everything shut down. We didn't even see it coming. I know I didn't. I actually thought I could go to any restaurant in New York the following week. I had no clue. Shutdown meant everybody. <laughs> but what it did was I, you had these routines, Bart, that we were stuck in, whether it was, you know, for me, it was commuting, uh, well, getting up, going to the gym, rushing around, getting on the subway getting to an office. Um, I think in some ways, just like going through motions during the day, going to a reception at night, getting back on the train or a car and going home. Okay, then COVID shut it down. Now you're a remote worker and all of our companies came together and set you up with your home office. You had to come up with a new fitness routine. If that's your thing, that's my thing. Um, a fitness routine, a health routine. You know, what am I going to eat? We had to get food differently. Remember it was Stores were, it was crazy. But um, if you're disciplined and motivated, I mean, those things stay in you. And I think we, you and I have talked before about hiring for character. You can teach people lots of things if they're smart. Um, so you develop those new routines, but it allowed me to see when I thought I love to travel and I do love to travel and I love to go to receptions, but not all of them. Then I realized I can be a little more discerning with my travels. And I think that's what ha has happened in the last two years. Um, professionally, it allowed us to really accelerate a lot of initiatives. And you know, being a professional, um, you're always reprioritizing and juggling big initiatives. We nailed all of them, all within uh, a much shorter time than we thought. All the tech initiatives were launched. It allowed us to get closer with um, our regional counterparts and really tie together a global program, which is what I do here at Estee Lauder is pro provide program efficiency and then move that conversation from the more transactional to value creation. Now we can really talk about sustainability, uh, DEI, how we look at our suppliers and more on the, the value side. And the reason I bring that up, you can see where our personal and professional lives and it was as, as a result of the pandemic, did kind of merge together. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing to live a balanced life. And who you are is what you are. So all of that great stuff you do in your personal life, it transcends to your professional life as well. But it did allow us to be, um, I would say myself and my direct team and people I work with, much more focused disciplined and organized and we were still social we learned to do what we're doing today use zoom and teams and collaboration tools and guess what they're fantastic they're amazing i never talked to so many people and now it's comfortable and we're used to it but it took everything to shut down for us to reassess and get back and it's 
it is a new normal. And when we look at the future, Bart, it's the future will decide what the new normal is. Yes, and it's up to us to decide how we're going to react to it. Either exactly. we embrace it like you and your team have been doing. And I love the words that you continue to share, focus, discipline, and balance. When I share and often when I'm presenting to groups, I talk about something called doing distractors. And individuals would like to get certain things done and I'm calling them the should do's. So what is one thing that you know that you should do that you've not yet had a chance to do? No one is telling you about your should do's, but you're identifying it. And people are like, well, I should become more fit. I should have a better relationship with my family. I should have more of a balance. All of these things that most of us, if we're not doing them, we know that we should do. And then based on our survey results, we ask, well, what is preventing you? And it always comes down to focus, prioritization and accountability, almost exclusively. And then when we realize, well, if we, we can control our focus, we can control our self-accountability, we can affect our prioritization, then we're able to get things done. So as you just shared, you and your team were able to get all of those things done during a challenging time, like the pandemic. I would love to get back to the aspect of like the focus in the discipline. Is this a trait or characteristic that you, that you had from growing up or did you have to learn about the focus and the discipline and the balance? Yeah, I would say I've pretty much always been that way. Okay. Um, and, and it might be, you know, like how you're influenced growing up, but I, I have always trusted myself and I, I, that's the advice I give other people. You really trust your gut, yes. trust yourself. And um, we were talking briefly just before the real recording again, but you know, just the reprioritization every week. Um, you know, you shared some things with me and I know my, my own life, life gives you things that you don't expect. So when those should ofs or whatever, every week you're reprioritizing. So you put your calendar together and you're probably like me on Sundays, we look at like, what's Monday going to be? Um, and you're prepping all ready for the week. And you look at the week and everything you had planned maybe two months ago, you're gonna shift that around now because new priorities have come in and that is okay. And that is absolutely okay to drop something down and push something up to the top. And you and I hear this professionally all the time, those big projects, people are still like pushing and pushing you know what, maybe step back and there's another project that you need to look at or focus on. And then we'll go back to that other one that isn't moving because it's not going to move until you step away from it. And but, the words, not, yeah, I love that, Jamie. And the words that I'm typing down, flexible, adaptable, and the reprioritization. I would love to get back into the, your career with Estee Lauder, phenomenal, and how you have I guess it's safe to say, have moved up the ladder. You kept on getting promoted and promoted. How did you first learn about and earn the opportunity to work for Estee Lauder? Did they recruit you? Did you happen to find it online? Can you share a little bit about that? Because, you know, what a phenomenal company, incredible brand, and look at your success. So how did that start? Yeah, um, and you're right. I, I... It's an amazing story. I was recruited. Okay. I was recruited and it goes back to who you are is what you are, Bart. It's not, you're not attached to things or people or organizations. People are looking just like you look at me and I look at you and we connect and we're like, wow, I really like this person, Bart, separate from anything else. Doesn't matter where you work. I'm following you wherever you go. Uh, I was recruited. It was based on uh, when I was interviewed um, by the hiring manager. She said, uh, you know, I remember you were really organized, really disciplined, always professional. And it didn't matter what I was doing, but this is how she remembered me. And then I have another friend in the business who kind of validated it. And uh, yeah, and then I was um, recruited. I did interview and went through the whole process. And then once I was hired, um, I really wanted to do my very best, which is something I always want to do and, and what's best for a big company like this. So I spent a few years really learning the organization. Um, 
and all of these brands and all of the countries and what makes Estee Lauder companies, Estee Lauder companies really, and I would give this advice to anyone, look at the strategy and goals of your company before you ever set your own strategy. It really has to line up with the organization that you work for. I'm fortunate I have uh, the same VP I had that when I was hired. Um, he's been an amazing coach and leader to me. Um, and I've had other doors open for you. I've had to earn every spot here, of course, but I've been able to meet people and coaches internally and externally that have really helped me um, advance within the company. Yeah, and what, a, what an incredible career that keeps on growing and keeps on rising. I did want to ask you, Jamie, with regard to the company. I do a lot of presentations for people that are right out of college. And what I have been sharing with them is to chase their passion, not the pennies, meaning find that there's a purpose. I did after, and I think you had recommended it, but the book by Leonard Lauder, um, really, really interesting. Uh, I bought it, it at first and my wife grabbed it. So she was reading it, but talks a lot about the culture. So did you understand the culture right away when you were recruited and when you accepted the job with Estee Lauder? Or was it something that you also had to learn more about? Jeff, I would say learn more about. Um, you know what you read and see in here. So you, I knew it was a great organization. Of course, you know, amazing brands. Uh, but when you're actually in an organization, you really feel the the culture and it is a definitely family influenced um very caring i in my entire career have never received as much support uh internally uh but i had a, a long time sales career and i was virtual so everything was different when i was hired here at essay lauder i have now i have a corporate job um i wasn't virtual anymore but um what was interesting that I work for a, a large global company that feels very intimate. Um, and I think that's a very difficult thing to do. And I, I know there's a couple other companies that I, I look at and I feel the same thing in those companies where you have a lot of family influence and that caring and support um, and that sense of community at work, very rare. Um, and I like what you said about chasing passion up I did that here at Estee Lauder. Like I said, I was recruited, probably looking at some other things, but um, I, I knew it was the right thing to do and everything else would come later, but it's been a very fulfilling journey. It continues to be fulfilling and speaking to young recruits, if you give them the tools and resources uh, and support that they need, they will stay in your company. They yeah. will not leave. <laughs> Right. And everyone is talking about retention and the great resignation. Yeah. You are yeah. absolutely right. Give them the tools and support that they need, and then they will stay, which then kind of transition about the culture aspect with a company and a brand brands that has so much rich culture. How were you able to inject your own philosophy with regard to culture into the teams that you've created? Yeah, good question. Um, first, I do a lot of listening. I feel I would really rather be remembered as the quietest one in the room than the loudest. Um, a lot of listening and a lot of observing, but really, how do you do things around here? So looking at the organization, 40 very different brands, and that's what also makes my job really fun and interesting. It's not one size fits all. We're flexible and adaptable in our program, whether it's meetings or corporate travel to every single brand. Um, and you can still have consistent operational efficiency. You can have consistency and savings and still provide them the, the unique nuances that they need, whether it's by country or brand. And then when it comes to, um, yeah. So even with your internal clients, I think similar uh, situations, learning and understanding what are the goals of whoever, you talk to everyone when you're in a role like mine, so whether it's finance or legal or risk and security or human resources, you need to know how things fit and how they work organizationally. Um, so you're really accountable to everyone. And then with my own team, um, I do like 
fresh eyes. And I think you know that I, I like to learn and unlearn myself. So that's where I inject my, my influence. It's the learning and unlearning. When you present new information to me, I unlearn <laughs> what I thought. Um, and, uh, and that's what I look for in teams. And I think that's been um, what's helped me be successful as well. I'm really here to bring, I mean, I just say it like in fun, bring joy to everyone in a category that really isn't that fun because um, it's kind of emotional on the corporate travel side. Meetings, as you know, they are fun, yeah. fun to execute. Um, and they're fun to put together. Corporate's a little bit different, but you can make it a smooth and frictionless experience. Yes. What you said about listening and learning and unlearning our first advisory board together, I noticed that you were very quiet in the general session when people were, you know, groups of a hundred people or so very, very quiet, but you were listening intently and taking notes. And what I I'm proud about is that I'm able to notice things and observe people and what they do. That's what I'm passionate about. How can we enhance behavior? So was watching that aspect of you. And if there was a controversial thing, you were not the first to stand up and say, well, I don't agree with that. You took it in and I could almost see and watch you learning and unlearning. And then it was one of the first gatherings that we we had together in the breakout session. You were asked a question and it was this strategic, thoughtful, intuitive, intellectual outpouring of brilliance. Just so amazing. That is who you are and that is what you are. And I am so appreciative of you sharing this story. How are you able to mentor people on your teams? Because I know you are so passionate about growing your team. Do you share with them advice like you're just sharing with me and I'm taking notes. So if I'm not looking directly at the camera, I'm taking notes. I'm learning. And this is great listening and learnings for our listeners, of course. How are you able to mentor and teach the 10 things that you've shared already with us? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I look back on, I never forget, like I said, you never forget where you came from. Um, you just, I just remember where I came from. I remember how certain leaders made me feel when I was just starting out in my twenties. And, you know, to this day, I remember the feeling. And so I, I look at my team and I share those experiences. Like this is unacceptable. I don't care how old you are, or you could be just starting out, but nobody is supposed to make you feel a certain way as an older person. We owe it to you. You don't have to learn those mistakes. So that's something like, you know, most people don't. I, I, I feel like that's been my career too. I just don't want to be a certain person. So I go the opposite direction. But I do share a lot of those experiences with them. Like I know certain mishaps that, um, you know, some people look for and I share them with them. So this will just, I know on my own experience, this is yeah. something that could happen. This is how you avoid it. Mm -hmm. um, I want to create a really open forum so that they feel free to share ideas. And that's something that I didn't feel comfortable doing in my early career. Um, and maybe to your point, like how I'm more of a listener. And then I speak when I really feel like, okay, I can add something valuable, but I'm not going to talk just to talk that is, doesn't appeal to me, <laughs> but um, those, so I want to hear from them. I want to hear their ideas. And it goes back to like learning and unlearning but also letting them know that, you know, what do you need from me as a leader to get you to the next uh, position, whether it's internal or external, I will help you grow professionally, whatever you want to do. Um, and I know I, you have a great team, you never want to lose them, but you have to be prepared to like, you know, being a, a father, someday they move away, they do other things, same thing with your team, they may leave you, they may leave your company, but that's okay. You want to always keep that. I want to keep those relationships lifelong. And especially to, I would say, younger generations, something I can tell you, like you have all this technology and you're really, really smart, but you are building relationships 
that will last a lifetime. And it doesn't look like it when you're 20. They see somebody like you and me and they're like, wow, they've known each other for so many years. How does that happen? It will happen to you too. And this is what you will remember. You're yeah. going to remember the people that touched your lives, the people that made you smile, the people that put a smile on your face um, and vice versa. Yeah, how you made people feel. And that, that goes back to Maya Angelou's quote, of course, about they're not gonna remember what you said, you know, always what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. And you'll appreciate this. I share this story when I'm working with participants and I'm presenting, I'll ask them, who remembers who won the Super Bowl from three or four years ago? And a few hands might go up. Who remembers who won America's Got Talent from a few years ago? And maybe a few hands. Who can tell me their favorite elementary school teacher and why? Every single person's hand goes up because it's how they felt. Miss Burroughs, my first grade teacher, played the guitar for us every day at lunch, and she made us feel welcome. And Jamie, you'll appreciate this. I asked this question a couple of weeks ago up in Boston to a group, and they said, this teacher, my second grade teacher, she was the first person that made me feel welcome and accepted. Wow, like that's just so incredible. So I know your team members, the influence that you've had on me, the influence that you've had on so many different team members by your mentoring, they will remember this is how Jamie made me feel. So we talked about leadership and the notes that I took down about the most important traits. I think it kind of already summarized its support, its learning and its unlearning and its listening and being authentic and being open. Is there anything from a leadership perspective that you perhaps are not great at? Um, that well, you would want to improve upon or uh, mm -hmm. let's see, compensate with other people perhaps on your team that maybe are better than you at a certain task. With all due respect, I hope you don't mind me asking this. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, and I feel I, I mean, like going into something you've, you've read about imposter syndrome, like when you're telling me all these things, like I, I'm feeling like, am I really those things? Um, so I, I think how we view ourselves and how other people view us, and that's what I'm learning there. I'm always so shocked and amazed. Like even when my team says you're this, this, and this, I, because I always want to check in with them. Like, how am I as a leader? Yes. I, 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 I want to know how I am. I mean, where I feel I, I need um, maybe more improvement is I'm, I'm very hands-off. Mm -hmm. I really am not a micromanager at all. I give you a lot of room. Um, and I've learned that sometimes, and this has come to me in various ways, um, knowing which team member needs a little more from you. They don't always come to you um, because I do instill this, um, I hired you, you're going to do it and they do it. And then they don't really come to you when they need help, right? So I never really know. I just assume things are great. So I think that's where I can become a better leader is just that um, that pulse of, and we can do this and we do it ourselves with like our um, regularly scheduled meetings with each other. But I do try to do one-on-ones as well um, because that's where I get a better gauge of how am I doing as a leader and how much do you need from me? Um, but I think that's that's kind of a balancing act too as a leader with how much and knowing which person needs a little bit more at at a certain time. Oh, outstanding. And I just have essentially just probably two more questions for you. You were talking then about being hands off typically, but then understanding what your team needs. So if there is someone that needs more hands on from you, that's what you can provide. Can you tell us a little bit about your views on recognition? recognition of your team members, recognition of employees within Estee Lauder companies. How important is that? And can you share examples of what you've seen that has been well embraced and highly successful for recognizing others? What are your views? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's important, even whether it's professional recognition, I'm a big proponent of professional recognition. Um, one thing I've told everybody on my team, if they're joining a professional organization, no passive uh, memberships, 
You don't just join an organization to join it. You will get on a committee. You are going to lead something. And I think you know that everybody on my team has a leadership position yes. in any organization they're involved in. So that is a requirement and, and they grow from it and people like recognition. But even um, on maybe like not that side of it, but just the day-to-day letting people know they're doing a good job. Um, when I see an awesome email, I want to let them know that was the tone and the message was on point. Um, I feel it's also really important, especially when you're in a leadership position and people are, you're, you're managing their careers, is giving them opportunities to manage up. And that means you are bringing in junior associates sometimes to an executive level meeting. And I, I know not all of us believe that, but this is what I believe. And I will bring a junior associate with me because let's say I am sick one day, somebody will have to step into that meeting for me and speak at a high level. So they learn how to condense messages. Um, as you know, like big yep. ideas, just smaller words when you're at that level. But I feel that's really important. And I know it does so much for someone's, uh, your confidence, your self-esteem, it's really important to growth and do not be stingy with compliments. Um, definitely yeah. not. If it is well-earned and well-deserved, I mean, people definitely have to earn their spots. Absolutely. But definitely give them the recognition where um, they have earned it for sure. And do you think that people, in addition to the compliments and giving them opportunities to manage up, are gifts important? It, like, how else does Estee Lauder recognize people for a great job? Anything come to mind? Oh, yes. Um, in fact, I was just going through some of my uh, sentimental work. Uh, thank you notes. Um, this is inherent to the culture at Estee Lauder. I have so many art handwritten letters and <laughs> thank yous. I, you'll appreciate coming from hospitality. And this is what I, I remember my first one I received. I said, I, I just did my job and I got a thank you letter and a little gift. And I was told, yes, that that is the culture here. You know, you did something for this person. They appreciate it. But this is where you're giving and receiving. You have to give to receive. You you have to do that. It's and I learned that you've learned it in hospitality. It's inherent in this company. I have thank you letters from whether it was a professional achievement to I, I just did my job. There's a thank you for that. Um, thank you for answering my question. Yeah. Um, but it, it means a lot. And this is how you build solid relationships and you need them at work. You are never a lone horse. We're all in this together. Um, but yeah, and we, yeah. we do that even internally. I have um, handwritten notes from my team. I've given my team handwritten notes. So you, yeah, wow. That's what, that's exactly, with my, with my Sharpie, that's exactly what I was doing this morning, letting people know how much I appreciate them. And that's something, Jamie, that most people don't do anymore. They don't know what the price of a first-class stamp is because they don't send handwritten notes. And, and you just sharing that you have stacks of them that you have saved because they may, they meant something to you. Um, that the appreciation, the gift, the thought process, the compliments, ah, just it's, it's so very, very powerful. And that's what I'd like to be able to share with our listeners that when you do things like that, that most people are not, it's going to make a tremendous impact. All right. Yeah, one it's, yeah. it's real and authentic art. Yeah. So um, I had somebody call me during the pandemic. She wanted to start a project in her company to create company culture. And I, I tried to explain to her, it's not, you can't make it. Yes. You can't take the meetings philosophy and, and have a celebration and make it. It is these little tiny micro things that you're doing, maybe even not even consciously. That's how you build the culture. I'm just in, I just typed this. I thought you were going to say gestures, but yeah, I typed in yeah. mi micro gestures. And that might be the, the 
a new topic for a new story. And I'm going to compliment you on that, but micro gestures, the more that you do it, because what we, what we find is that um, when I'm presenting and whether I'm talking about sales or service or about enhancing customer behavior, enhancing your own behavior, while there might be a vice president that hires me to go and share this with their team, it also needs to go all the way up to the top because it needs to go, right? Cultures created grassroots, bottom to the top, top to the bottom, and then it needs to flow. So I am so spot on with exactly what you're saying, Jamie, that it needs to go, it can't be, it has to be real, it has to be authentic. Um, last question for you, and this is, this will go out to uh, about 20,000 folks, and hopefully by the time it's released in a few weeks, it'll be 40,000 individuals. A lot of hotel team members and event specialists will listen to this, as well as people in the meetings and events industry. What suggestions would you have for salespeople that are trying to spread awareness about whether it's an individual property, whether it's a gifting company, whether it's a DMC, uh, a convention and visitors bureau, what advice would you have from a sales perspective on how should they share their message? Because, and it's so funny, you know, I'll, I'll hear from someone, you know, um, I keep on getting calls from XYZ Limited Service Hotel in Pittsburgh, and I'm from Pittsburgh. And they're like, look, we never go to Cleveland, or we never go to Pittsburgh, we don't go to Cleveland, we don't go to Akron, so these people should do the research and, and not call us. And I want to be kind to them, but I'm getting bombarded with calls. What suggestions would you have for salespeople that are trying to promote their product, service, or destination in working with a company like yours? You've seen great salespeople. What suggestions would you offer salespeople? Yeah, really good question. And I'm going to tell you um, a true story that happened. It was a cold call, and it was a hotel I probably would have never looked at. I, I received an email, and the subject line said, telegraph telephone, tell a woman. That's an Estee Lauder quote. Estee Lauder had this quote. Um, and so I knew this person had done their homework on our company. Yeah. And this is the advice I would give you. Do homework on the organization before you cold call. Um, definitely do your homework. So she had that in the subject line. So now I was interested. And I opened the email and it was a hotel in a secondary market and we don't have a lot of business there, but I said to my manager at the time, I'm, I'm going to meet her. I'm going to call her. And when she's in New York, I'm going to, I want to meet her and learn more about this hotel. That hotel was a hotel we, we now use for meetings and events. Um, I think it has also been in our corporate program as a corporate uh, hotel. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it, it can happen. So even though, like you said, this is a city we'll never go to, I might have had the same mindset and said no if it hadn't come to me the way it came to me. Yes. Oh, creativity, research, preparation, and then all the other things that you were talking about, focus, prioritization, reprioritization, follow-up, persistence, all of those characteristics that you shared about what has made you successful a salesperson can apply the same thing. Of course, make, make that person feel like they're the only person in the room. You This requires a little more from a salesperson. Now you're customizing, and yes. but it will make your job much more fun and interesting because every client you're looking at, you're looking at them with fresh eyes and what's going to appeal to them. It feels authentic. Um, and then things happen just the way they're supposed to. Yes. But um, I, I just, I rem and again, it's a memorable story. I'll never forget it. Yeah, yeah. And as a result of this, 40,000 more people are going to know that memorable story. Should, should we give a plug? Should we give a plug for the hotel or should at least the salesperson? It is the W Hotel okay. in San Diego. Okay, yeah. amazing. Amazing and so good to hear. And that should encourage a lot of others. Um, Jamie, I cannot thank you enough, right? This has been outstanding. Um, as I am taking, I have now four pages of notes, even though you thought I was still looking at you, I'm keeping notes off on the side. There is such great wealth in your approach. And I am humbled to be able to know you. 
my thoughts are you and I need to get on stage together. Let me ask you questions in front of thousands of people. You need to write a book or something and I'll help you write a book. Uh, Jamie, just seriously, it is some of the richest content that I have experienced in 45 minutes. So um, I am so grateful. I do wanna give you the, the last word before I compliment you one more time. <laughs> Well, I, I, I only wish we could keep talking forever. And that's how you can tell you're in a, in a great, great company. Um, I, I just wish we could go on and on and on. I want to thank you for inviting me. Um, I, I've listened to your podcast. And I, when you reached out to me, I was like, wow, this is a pretty impressive list of people. Um, so thank you very much. And I, I hope people learn from, from this. I, I'm always looking to others to learn. And if I can touch one person, I feel gratified by that. Outstanding. And you you are certainly overqualified to be included in the list of my guests. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Jamie, if, it, if you don't mind, I'd like to make sure that I'm spelling your name properly. And is it okay if I share that so they could connect with you perhaps on LinkedIn? Because I know you're very active and involved on LinkedIn. Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, so Jamie, J-A-M-I, Stapleman, S-T-A-P-E-L-M-A-N-N, Executive Director, Estee Lauder Companies, just a wealth of information. And Jamie, I'll share this with you to conclude. As I take notes, I look for certain themes and I look for certain catchwords. So whenever I have the description, it's not just Jamie Stableman, executive director of Estee Lauders. It's something about what you said. And so like Simon Cooper, when I interviewed him, former president of Ritz-Carlton, he had said something about his greatest learnings came from a boat that broke and the beckoning of the sea. So that was the title of his podcast, right? A boat that broke allowed him to be able to learn how to do things, learn how to be a leader, learn how to fix things. And then the beckoning of the sea was the analogy of he breathed better because of his asthma when he was by the ocean. So all of that really encapsulated who he is. Some of the things that I wrote down about you, it's about relearning. It's about being disciplined. It's about being humble. It's about um, you know listening more than you speak. Uh, so many incredible little I'm going to call them Jamie uh, Stableman isms. We call them Jamie isms. Oh, you already have those. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, I already have some. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> we need we that's that will be even more for your book. Okay, then I'm going to help you write. Yeah, they're Jamieisms, and when it, when I hear people say them, they sound funny out of their mouth. But I'm like, oh, I guess that's a Jamieism. Yeah, to being able to relearn and unlearn, just incredible things. So, Jamie, I cannot thank you enough. Um, I know that I'm a huge fan of yours. Uh, as a result, I'm a huge fan of Estee Lauder companies, and I know that the people that are listening will also become dual fans by learning more about you and what a remarkable person you are. So again, Jamie Stapleman, Executive Director, Estee Lauder Companies, cannot thank you enough. Thank you, Bart.